0: This is the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red Podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool
1: Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. It's that time of the summer where we hand the keys over to you, the listeners for a Q&A special here on the Blood Red channel. We'll be talking Jurgen Klopp, potential successes, contracts, transfers, and formations, all to come alongside Theo Squires and Rich Garner here on the Blood Red podcast. You've been getting in touch with us via our email address, bloodred at reachplc.com, as well as through our YouTube channel, and it is time to delve into the mailbag to see what you have been saying. But before we get underway, Theo, Rich, how are you chaps keeping? It's
0: that question one, is it? How are we doing?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on hitting. i hitting.
0: I've had a couple of weeks without Doily or Gorsley being on. So as you can imagine, I'm running on dry full of poor ideas at the moment. We've already had all the transfers gone. So it's a good thing we've got this Q&A. Maybe something will give me inspiration for this weekend shift coming up.
1: Yeah, hopefully. So, Rich, this is your first... Uh, dipping your toe in the water of a, a Q&A. What are you expecting? I'm not expecting the
2: unexpected, I think. I'm not really sure where this will go or how, how, uh, how uh, serious the uh, line of questioning will be. what I will say I'm working from home today, which was the first error of me because it's absolutely boiling. Uh, I've got no air conditioning, no fan or anything like, and I've had to shut the window to keep any noise external noise you've got there's always workmen outside they're doing something or other so uh i'm gonna i'm gonna um soldier on in uh, these uh saharan conditions and see how we get on yeah let's nice see nice and how cool we do, at echo
0: hq yeah. today
1: yeah, th- thanks, 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 Theo. <laughs> <laughs> right, on, on we go. On we go. First person to get in touch via our email address, bloodredatreachplc.com. Which Genevieve's got two questions. The first on formation. So I'll throw that one over to you. Theo says, would you uh, would like your thoughts on our formation for next season in view of the new players? Will Klopp stay with the four three three, or will a four two three one be used and deployed? Whether it be Firmino or even Yay. Fabio Carvalho in the number
0: 10 role? Uh, I reckon a combination of the two, if I'm honest. It's from where you look at Liverpool's business, they're suited to both. Um, you think last year, I know fans wanting a new midfielder, but they had eight options there. It was just there wasn't an unstudy for Fabinho because you had Jordan Henderson playing on the right-hand side of him every single week, pretty much. And then when you did drop out, oh, you still want to play your captain, whereas... If they do switch to four two three one every so often, it covers that because you expect Henderson not to be starting every game, so he can be Fabinho replacement. You just put Tiago alongside him, and then we know the rest of the options there. And it's an interesting one that this four two three one's come up because you're suddenly looking at players as number tens, and Liverpool fans haven't had to really do that since Coutinho left. You think well, Fabinho can do that role, and it's a way to get him back in the team. Had his injury problems last year. But if he can stay injury-free, um, he's playing for his future as well. That's a, a decent prospect for him. But it's not just Pavallo as well. Obviously played that role for Fulham really well in the Championship. could be a, a nice role for Harvey Elliott or Curtis Jones. Uh, I've said on the podcast before that what fans want these these goalscoring midfielders, I'm firmly of the belief that these two can do that. And then it, it just depends who Liverpool are playing, I think, for what formation they'll go with. Um, I think Carlo Ancelotti said a comment about the 4 3 3 was very easy to play against. And that's maybe one reason why Liverpool wanted to change things up. We know that didn't win any of those uh, top four games last year, which ultimately cost them the Premier League title. They didn't score in the three finals. So sort they've of signed an £85 million striker. And you think maybe that is the new lead source of goals with these crosses coming from out wide and you're not relying on the wingers as much. And it's just another way to get goals from midfield. But then you'd be surprised if, say, Liverpool were playing Man City and they went 4-2-3-1 when 4-3-3 has been so good to them in the past. Klopp has always rotated between the two depending on the opposition and the options available. He's even thrown in occasional 4-4-2. Um, so, yeah, just carry on with what they're doing. The only difference now is they've got a proper proper number nine up front who um, get the goals and you're thinking maybe you need a, another playmaker and behind him who can do it as well. But it's also looking to the future, isn't it? Because, say, 12 months' time, Mohamed Salah is no longer a Liverpool player. Um, If you've got a 4-3-3 and you've taken away that primary source of goals on that right wing, you need them to come from elsewhere. So it's rather easy just going, let's put a fourth attacking body in there behind the striker. It's going to be the best of both.
1: Yeah, definitely. I hope Divo Carigi wasn't listening or isn't listening to the podcast. You say Liverpool finally have a proper number nine. I mean, the guy won Liverpool a Champions League. But anyway, we'll we'll move on. And Rich, I suppose when you, you kind of look at the, the players who have come in and on that question, Fabio Carvalho coming in and potentially being a number 10, it does sort of suit that you look at this squad now and maybe there is chance kind of to go horses for courses for Liverpool. And maybe alter it up for different opposition because as Theo said even going back a couple of seasons Liverpool went to the Etihad and went 4-2-4 end of last season a number of times Origi was coming off the bench and or, or Diogo Jota and they were keeping four forwards on the pitch Klopp has proven certainly over the last season that he is willing to change that formation
2: Yeah I think we're, we're starting to see those uh, those sort of changes that uh, previously never seemed to happen come into, into play now and and Liverpool's forward line is in a period of, of evolvement now, obviously not just in personnel, but possibly in, in, uh, its own dynamic and, and and its own configuration. The word I was looking for, I I think I said on the last part, I wasn't, wasn't really sure what, what Fabio Cavallo is. Is he, is he an attacking midfielder? Is he a number 10 or is he something in between? Or or does, is this, uh, a time now where, Jurgen yeah, Klopp will take a look at, at that particular player and say, "Well, let's see where best you you fit into this side, and whether he's whether he's intending to use him from the get go, or, or be another one of those players that he beds in over a sustained period of time, like like he did with some of some of his previous signings." Remains to be seen, but uh, obviously the the acquisition of Nunes as, as as uh, Theo has said, uh, you know, a uh, sort of out-and-out out number nine. And say what you want about Rigi, but he was never able to hold down a regular uh, first-team place. And obviously, for the money Liverpool have paid for for Darwin Nunes, we'll will certainly be expecting him to do that. And expectations will be will be really high of him. So th- things are going to change. I don't think it's necessarily uh, a bad thing, you know, because you can't you've had these three you played this formation for a long period of time which has been very successful you've had these three uh forward players who've been absolutely brilliant you know possibly the best forward combination um the club may have ever had i'm sure, I'm sure there'll be plenty to argue the case on that with a, a number of other uh combos down the years but you know certainly as a trio um they've been pretty formidable haven't they and and slowly but surely uh new new players have come in and every every player that's come in so far has as been pretty successful. There's no duds that have come in. There's no one that said, Well, why did he sign him? Let's get you know, shift him back out. But I uh, think things are changing and perhaps Liverpool's approach or or dynamism in terms of the shape that they they play in games will change as well. And I suppose the nail's been hit on the head there: the failure to score in cup finals, the the lack of victories against the, those top clubs that ultimately might have cost a few key points. You do need some sort of uh, plan B, and assuming it's not lump it forward to Nunes, uh, we are going to see some changes.
1: Yeah, it does look like that could well be the case. Second part of Genevieve's question, Theo, was too many draws last season, which cost us the title. Can you do an overall analysis of the draws and were there common mistakes or or where do you think Liverpool could have improved? I suppose the main ones, really, that that people are often talking about was at Brentford and certainly at home to to Brighton, where Liverpool were 2-0 up and somehow didn't win that game.
0: Yeah, I suppose the. I can't think that there've been that many Chelsea. Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea, Chelsea. There was another one away. Oh, I suppose the recurring factor is this was all early on in the season before Liverpool well, already found was their Well, Chelsea January
1: wasn't it? But I mean, Richard yeah, jumped that was in well Af- if you
0: want. Start of yeah. Africa, wasn't it? When everyone came back for half a season, they were flying until they were knackered. Come the after the FA Cup semi-final, but that season peaked. Those first forty-five minutes at Man City against Man City at Wembley, and then ah, uh, we're still playing every week to go for all the fronts, and Liverpool were a bit tired. Um, I think they were just finding their groove early on in the season. You had key players coming back from injury. You had players bedding in. There were mistakes, but then you've got to remember Matip had been out for half a season. Van Dijk had been out for pretty much a whole season. And Thiago was in and out when he was having injuries. It was all just about getting the eleven together. Uh, Firmino was injured. That's when he was still first choice, wasn't he? At the very start of the season. You look at conceding leads against Chelsea, against uh, Brighton, not being able to get that victory against Brentford. But then Brentford are a newly promoted side at the home stadium against the the biggest game so far, really, on the season. Of course, their fans would be up front. It'd be a different clash for them. Um, It's more the draws for Chelsea and Man City. Like The fact that they came in August, September, and that's your two chances to take points off your title position at home, gone. Like If one of them had been at the Etihad and then you'd been able to have Man City at Anfield at the start of April, I reckon Liverpool probably would have won that game and then gone on to win the league. It's just those small margins Liverpool and to make it count early in the season. Um it's just teams drop points, teams lose games, they draw games. Um Man City, if they'd not been able to claw it back against Aston Villa on our Manchester City sister podcast, would they be having this exact same conversation and we'd be burying our heads in the sand? Liverpool and Man City have just reached the standards to such a level now where you get 90 points, 90 points, 90 points, 90 points and it's still not enough. Whereas 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago City, Arsenal or not City, United, Arsenal, Chelsea they could win the league with 75 points 80 points. And you just needed like 65 to get in the Champions League uh, It's just the standards are so high now that these drop points, they seem to hurt that little bit more. But Liverpool on form, they do enough um, You're not going to go through a whole season when win Every single game, and while those are frustrating points that you're going to happen in games you're going to drop, City can say the same thing about like drawing with Southampton, losing to Spurs. For me, the more frustrating was like losing to Leicester when Mohamed Salah misses that penalty. Um, If he scores that penalty, they're winning that game, and then you can say, well, do they win the league off the back of that? Or losing to West Ham? There's so many different things. It's a 38 game season. It's the cliche. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, you can't really define it to these small moments with mistakes. It's just part and parcel of going for league titles when it's a thirty-eight game season.
2: It, it's hard to be critical of a side that's basically lost the league by a goal, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, the, and that is essentially what they've done. They've lost the league by a goal if, again. If, <laughs> again, if if um, you know if if any of those draws, perhaps great or, or, or maybe disappointed. It was probably the Brighton one where, where they had, I think they had a 2-0 lead, didn't they? Um yeah. And, you know that.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Uh,
1: Equally, maybe. I'd go with what Theo said as well, though. The home games with, with Chelsea and Man City. I mean, I know they were early part of the season, but if you're going to win the league... Uh, and equally, like we say, it's hard to criticise a team who only dropped 22 points throughout the course of the season. But you win your home game, and then you, you try not to be beaten away.
2: Yeah, but they're, they're top sides, aren't they? You know, they're going to cause you the biggest problems. You've got to be right on it to get any sort of result against either of them. And whereas the, the Brighton game, with we, all the greatest respect to them, are not a top side. They're a good side, but they're not They're not one of the very best uh, and Liverpool had uh, uh, something to defend and, and didn't do it, so so that, that was points dropped uh, and then you can argue the toss on the other ones um, but you know m- maybe, could they have been a bit more a bit braver at, at Man City I don't know, it's a tough game isn't it um, the bright one really, I remember, remember leaving that one being a bit disappointed and, and then obviously by the time Tottenham at home comes round, you're in that sort of drop a point at your peril situation, aren't you? Um, and it, it, it was, it was. to remember Liverpool was so far behind and I remember this in, was it, in 2014 season, you, you, you drag in, you know, you've closed down that gap so far and you've won a lot of games in order to achieve that. But It's not just a case of catching up that league leader, is it? You've then got to overtake them and stay there and, and, and it, it's a tall order, it's a big ask to be able to do that. So, yeah, and, and as, as it turns out, one goal's done. Yeah,
1: definitely. I will just
0: jump in there and go back on these big sides things. I think um, over the past four years, Man City have had one more point than Liverpool, if you put it all together.
1: So Was this the pass- big six table?
0: No, this is the entire four seasons, right, 38 right, games right. each season. Man City have only won one more point than Liverpool. So the points Liverpool won the league by in 1920, they lost it by in 2021. So it all cancels each other out. So for me, that suggests that it isn't these games against the lesser sides because they're both dropping similar amounts. Like because, like I said, they're not going to win every single game. So you are going to have to factor these in. So for me, it still is down to those games against your big rivals. And you look at 18-19 in that top four mini league, Man City were top of that. They had the better of them. In 1920, Liverpool were top. Man City were bottom of that mini league. And then last year, Liverpool were bottom. They didn't win any of them. Like Spurs and Chelsea, won took points off. Um, like Spurs took two points off City. Chelsea took points off Spurs. So I think all three of them and City finished with like eight points in this mini league. It's not a huge margin. I think when Liverpool and City before were top of it, they had like 13 points. But you need to be top of that mini league. You need to take points off your rivals because they are the six pointers. It's not draw and with Brighton and losing two points, it's the fact that you've not been able to make that six-point account against Man City. Like Those are the games that decide it, and the fact that that has been what's decided the title three, four years in a row now, it is whoever comes out on top between the top four teams win the title. It's just how it is at the moment. You've got that perfection between these two title challenges.
1: Yeah, I do. Final say on it. I do, I do have to say I agree with you, Theo, on that in terms of certainly City at home. Liverpool were were ahead twice. 1-0 up, 2-1 up. Didn't see it out. Chelsea away, 2-0 up and draw 2-2. And Chelsea at home, albeit went 1-0 down, clawed it back and the whole of the second half against 10 men. It was mentioned at the time, but... I I kind of do see the logic in what you're saying. Rich, I would come back to you, but I think we've got to to move on. We've got so many questions to try and get through. Anthony Barr asked, do you think Klopp's going to change the system slightly with regards, especially after Angelotti's comments? I feel like we we spoke about that with the formation thing. So I'm going to move forward now to Justin Freeman's uh, question, who says, what's your favourite moment from the past season and also your top five players in every league? I'll, I'll keep it to top three players across Europe. You can go past all present. I'm not I'm not too fussed about that. But in terms of the first part of the question, what was your favourite moment from last season? Let's let's tackle this in two. So Rich, what was your favourite moment of last season? Um
2: probably from a personal perspective, probably the FA Cup final because um I took my son and he, he went to the semi final as well. And he's ten now. Um, and everything. I always wrong the first game I ever watched Liverpool play was the 1986 FA Cup final, and my dad went, and he always raved about it, and that, and how everything went perfect on the day, and that wasn't the case in '88 when things went wrong. But we had a, we had such a, a fantastic day, and it doesn't really matter the consequence of what happens on a pitch. Maybe a situation, being able to go to an FA Cup final with my son and see Liverpool win is is basically what dreams are made of. And unfortunately, my dad's no longer with us. And I only actually, although we went to many finals, both of us, we only ever sat together once and that was for the uh, League Cup final against uh, Cardiff City, it was. So um, to be able to go there with my son and experience that together, was you can't buy it.
1: Yeah, two penalty shootout wins for the Reds. I'm going to say, albeit... As everyone knows, not a read myself, but nine-nil over Manchester United through the course of the season. If I had to pick one moment, seeing five go in at Old Trafford against Man United was definitely my favorite moment of the season from a Liverpool perspective. Theo, what about yourself?
0: Yes, the same, the five nil. I was there at Old Trafford and you had me, Gorsty, and Doyley just looking at each other, almost laughing and I was in gonna disbelief. say, at what point
1: did you start did you start laughing or did professional... <laughs>
0: Probably midway through the first half, it's just like, what is going on here? And then Pogba gets himself sent off, and it's like Liverpool could have scored so many more, but they took the foot off the pedal. Um, it was a great performance from them, but it was United were so poor. But then it was just looking to our right at the press box after the final whistle and seeing those fans going on and on and on and on, going through chant after chant, singing Ollie's at the wheel. It was great to see. Um, I'm a bit disappointed that I can't say. Champions League final that obviously we have the damp there in, in Paris like I know the, the cup finals that Rich has mentioned there they were great but it all was like a culmination to this bigger glory and then it, we had the the fan zone and that was great and then it was all taken away from us so it seems like the end of the season was a bit of a damp squib so like that that glory of putting five past United at Old Trafford and seeing the fans enjoying it so much and Taunt him with the oddie chance that was great to see. Hopefully, more of that in uh or pre season, and then again in August when it's 10 hogs at the wheel.
1: Yeah, definitely. Right, favorite players then, shall we say top three of all time, wherever, whenever? Um, I'll let you guys go with that. Bro. We're not going
0: league by league, are we? We're just doing overall, no,
1: no just overall. Yeah, just 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 quick yeah, off the sorry. bat, just quick oh, off it's... the bat. Uh, Rich, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first. <sighs> What well, I, meant, uh, I thought you
2: meant top players this season, so I've got two Liverpool players. You can players do. Oh, right well, you that. can do. Yeah,
1: you, yeah. I mean, let's let's interpret
2: it how we want. If you want, if you want, I can give you favorite players of all time. Right, I'll give you. I'll tell you what. I'll give you two two Liverpool players I thought were outstanding this season, and then once Theo's had his say, I can come back and tell you my all-time favorites. <laughs> okay, you but it. It, it, but th- for this season, um, I thought Allison was absolutely outstanding, uh, and I'm happy to die on the hill. Uh, where I say he's the best goalkeeper who's ever played for Liverpool, and and I really mean that, and I'm sure some old ads are going it's to the come anniversary of
0: Clement's signing. And Clements well. yeah, so i obviously there team.
2: are there are uh, British legions going mad as we speak now um, because people will say Clements. Well, I've got to be honest and say I, I only ever saw Clements play on video, so and you know I've been been watching Liverpool since the 80s, but for me, for me, Allison is the best goalkeeper I've ever seen play for the club and I, I think without him you know there would have been other points dropped this season but i but just aside from Allison, uh the impact of luis diaz really excited me and ultimately we go to football to be entertained don't we and, and he, i think he's a born entertainer i actually thought when he came to the club um he was going to be a bit of a lunatic uh you know what i mean just you want know, to be to...
1: yeah yeah sort, you know, like,
2: sort of Mad hatter, South American, who, who's a bit wild and everything that we've seen so many times before in the Premier League. But he's actually a really sort of down to earth, humble uh, young lad who's just incredibly skillful. And I, I, I only, I'm really don't want to build him up too much. But well, it's a bit too late for that. But, uh, uh, but I'm expecting big things from him next season. I think we're going to see a lot more from Luis Diaz and a lot more goals. Very excited about him.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, oh, I'm of that generation that you get your nostalgia feels for football just before the messy ronaldo dominance. So my, my soft feelings are for like the Galacticos and when Ronaldinho was tearing up and when Kaka was tearing it up. So these are the ones that so, oh, you'd feel like, I don't know, a bit starstruck if you met them. Whereas I don't think I would be as much if it was like Lionel Messi, as mad as that sounds. So it's like, I, I can still name that AC Milan team in 2005 in Istanbul because it was just 11 world-class players. And the Juventus team was the same, like Ibrahimović, Del Piero, Trezeguet, Canova. It's just got so many players when it was a proper team of Galacticos, like, say, Real Madrid, Vigo, Ronaldo, Roberto Carlos, Sedan. It's like, this is my generation, isn't it? Um but then, for me, the player that's given me most enjoyment watching them live is Luis Suarez. It's probably because Liverpool weren't great for the most majority of his reign at the club. So, it was that moment of magic in pretty dark moments. But some of the goals he scored were spectacular. Like the one that, like Newcastle, when he brings the Enrique long ball down like on his shoulder and goes around the, the goalkeeper just a swivel of his hip or something. Um, he does things with a ball that you don't expect. And it's one where as good as Salah, Messi, Ronaldo, all these players are. They're in great teams. So you sort of take it for granted a little bit. It's when you see that gloriness in a a rubbish team and a player really stands out. That's what I appreciate a bit more. So, yeah, Yeah. I'll go with that.
1: Yeah, we're going to move on. But before we do, having mentioned great players and we're on a Liverpool podcast, I'm going to have to just say Steven Gerrard. Uh, Rich, do you want to have your say on your all-time greats? Well, my all-time great is... uh,
2: is actually Suarez. I'm with Theo on that totally. I don't know if he's the greatest Liverpool player of all time. That would be a stretch. He wasn't there very long, was he? But without without a shadow of a doubt, he is the best player I've ever seen play football. Well, that's Steven Gerrard. The... Yeah, yeah. No, Suarez. I put Suarez above him in terms of ability, excitement, um, just madcap, just everything. He's the he's, he's he's the nearest to Maradona I've ever seen in the flesh. For, for yeah, me, personally. And the goals you score, are unbelievable. Steven Gerrard, pro- probably, you know, in your top two Liverpool players of all time. But just for pure, who's the best player I've ever seen? Suarez. Rush was my hero. Thierry Henry, best player not to play for Liverpool I've seen at Anfield.
1: Yeah there we go and he said didn't he head of the Champions League any club he wish he could have played for Liverpool wow we'll dagger like to that. the heart dagger to the heart that one Thierry but anyway uh, let's move on then next question up we have is from uh, Ben Ahadi who says uh, who are you banking on breaking into the first 11 next season he's thinking Nunez Diogo Jota Firmino Cater. Gomez or Harvey Elliott? He's kind of listed those as the contenders, but Theo, fast forward 12 months and we're talking about what a great season Liverpool have had finally being able to complete the quadruple. Who was the player who broke into the team that we're we're all raving about?
0: Harvey Elliott. Um, If he hasn't got that injury, I reckon he stays in the first team for... This season would have been... Last season would have been his season. Uh, It probably slowly started to edge Jordan Henderson out the starting eleven a bit more, and I think it got to that point where Love needed that stability when he came back from the injury. And it's fine, just take your time, get right, have preseason, and you go again next year. But he's such an exciting player. We talk about others here. Firmino's got a point to prove this year. Jota's got a point to prove this year, which sounds a bit mad considering everything they've done. But you're assuming your £85 million striker is just going straight into that starting eleven after a month or two and he's scoring you a few goals. But Elliot's the one to watch. If he lives up to the potential and he can be as good as he was before the injury, he is going to be in this Liverpool starting eleven for years to come. And he is at that age now we think he could be knocking on the door. Um, when you look at what Liverpool are missing in these games, I'm not sure saying, do you change formation or not? He's the one who can run with the ball, get forward and make things happen. He, he looks exciting, I think, just Southampton away, which would have been his first start in the league and probably since the injury. Uh, so there's a real player. There. There's a reason people are excited about him. There's a reason why Jurgen Klopp was itching to throw him back in when he first came back from that injury. He's someone who excites the management staff. He's the one to look out for.
1: Right, OK. And following on from that, Rich, we've got another question here saying, who deserves more game time, Jones or Elliot? And would you prefer them over Cater? So mix that in, I suppose, with what you see through the course of the season. We know Nabi Cater's heading into the final 12 months of his contract, albeit Liverpool wanting to open negotiations over a new deal for him. But do you see either Jones or Elliot being able to maybe even jump above him in the pecking order this season?
2: Um, I think Elliot over Jones. I think Elliot is likely to make uh, an impact. Um, it, it, this could be a sort of a. Uh, a tough season with Jones and you know I don't want to say make or break that sounds a bit dramatic but um he, he, if he was going to keep pay, the level of this team is so ridiculously high and, and and he he deserves to be in that company but I just think I just think he's going to have perhaps more limited opportunities and it, it'll be there'll be a big on onus on him to shine when he gets those opportunities uh whether it's in cup competitions or or wherever else But yeah I I, I don't know I kind of see Elliot coming in for Henderson not Kater, but but a lot of this is going to be driven by what Kater delivers doesn't it you know I mean he, he came with quite high expectation you look at all those YouTube clips you saw all the goals you score from outside the box and taking players on and smacking it in just don't think we haven't seen, we just haven't seen enough of that really and Rich, maybe... we're
1: only about 10 days away from the annual is this going to be navigator season chat when when the players return for pre-season and we see them and we all go yes it's navigator time don't worry the time is ready we we're, we're going de- <laughs> to we'll, we'll delve back into those montages and we'll all get excited again Great, but i mean uh,
2: by default i'm a bit of a Cater pessimist. but but uh, then he go he occasionally proves me wrong and uh coming on against uh, leicester city in the league cup final I think it was, and of course he was a, a, exceptional in that match. So it, it's within him, isn't it? it? It's his job. His job is to make sure that the likes of Jones and Elliot can't get a sniff, isn't it? So down to him, really. If he's got the appetite for it, the, the, the you know the, those players that that have long careers with clubs and 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 a and, and, success do it through just delivering the goods time and time again. So if he can do that, uh, then it will be more difficult for for. for Certainly for Jones and, and for Elliot, but um, I'm, I, of the three, obviously, I'm again I'm with Theo on that. I think I think Elliot's the one to watch.
1: I uh, know it's not if you my want role to let it.
0: Rich know. I was gonna say, oh. if you want to let Rich know what you think about Navigator, Cater, his Twitter username is at Garnster, J G A R N S T E R. Get your mentions into
2: Rich look, and let look, him know what you think of Navigator. Cater. I, <laughs> look, I, I, I covered tram here for six to seven years and had very little uh wrath from any supporters so I don't want the Naby Keita fan club all of a sudden digging me out.
1: No, no, Rich, Rich, he's just trying to deflect. It's it's at Theo Squires Echo or email us bloodred. At, uh yeah at reachplc.com. and I've got a direct link straight to Theo's emails I can I <laughs> can send them on so deflection tactics
2: I've yeah. seen this before yeah
1: that that, that is classic <laughs> that is classic Theo Theo kind of behaviour that um Theo I know it's not my role today because it's Q&A and the listeners have supplied the questions but bonus one on that aviator he is heading into the final year of his Liverpool contract has he done enough to deserve an extension at Liverpool do you think
0: you're a naughty, naughty man. <laughs> <laughs> um, Liverpool want to give him a new contract. Talks will be held when the players report back for pre-season. Uh, has he done enough to be in a starting eleven week in, week out? No. Has he done enough to be this squad player who can step in and make a difference when called upon? Yes, I've said before I don't think he's been a 15 to a 52.75 million pound signing. He's not lived up to that price tag. But then that's something fans get angry about as well. It's like, well look at all these stats blah blah blah. He's had some really good moments in the Liverpool shirt and he's had some really bad moments in the Liverpool shirt. I think part of the problem with navigator has always been we had a year watching these YouTube clips. And hyping ourselves up, thinking, "Oh, what a player we're getting here!" And then, well, you're only seeing the best bits on YouTube. You're not seeing the full ninety minutes week in, week out. I know he didn't have the injury problems in Germany, but it never gave you that full picture. And the comparison I always make is Genie when Alden came in from Newcastle, and it was a little bit underwhelming, despite the fact that he had a reasonable season. The relegated side um, scored double figures, whatever it was. If he'd come straight from the continent. Had a year there, and you're looking at his YouTube clips me scoring 15 20 goals for PSV or Eindhoven, um, PSV or Feyenoord. Maybe you're getting excited about him the same way as Cater had come to an English team like Newcastle for a year, done all right. Maybe the hype wouldn't have been there it's the same way. Uh, he, he deserves a new contract. I think he's done enough to deserve a new contract, but as we'll have this debate in a week's time, two weeks' time, he has not done enough to be starting every single game for Liverpool. He could be this year because this does seem to be the year where you phase Jordan Henderson out more, and you've got Fabinho, you've got Thiago, and if it's a four-three-three, there is that one place there, and it could be his. But then it could be Harvey Elliott's, it could be Curtis Jones, or they could go four-two-three-one and just put Firmino or Carvalho as the number ten. Um, this is all things for Jurgen Klopp to consider, and this is why he makes the decisions. Him and Julian Warder, the ones who paid the big bucks to hand out the contracts and make the signings, and it's not me.
1: I thought you were going to say the comparison I, I always think of is is Paul Pogba because as you were talking there about montages and clips on, on social media I thought that's the one player that always strikes me about. Or Neymar, similar thing, but I suppose very different to what's happened with Paul Pogba is, as you say, Liverpool I'm sure will, will, will nail down a, a new contract for Naby Keita and protect the asset and protect the value they have. They're not going to let a club record or a club's fourth most expensive signing now of all time walk away on a free I can't yeah, imagine if they want him
0: to stay he's going to stay isn't he you'd imagine yeah. it shouldn't be yeah. too hard he's still young enough to have a good few years left in a Liverpool shirt and perform at a good level and you look at these right. midfield options White's on hold until 2023 They've still got Henderson getting older Milner getting older and probably entering his last year Thiago getting older Cater is the one there with Fabinho who could be that handover so he's spans across both generations as Elliot steps in as Jones steps in. Uh, It is there for Navigator, but we say this every summer. He still does enough, but he's never going to be that that YouTube player that we've seen before. And already I can see my mentions blowing up because I've written that and been uh, told off for it in the past.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Right. (laughs) Next one, and staying on the midfield, Ancient Knight, what a username that is on on YouTube, says, considering how many midfielders we have, does our system not allow midfielders to be more offensive, or is it just we don't have good enough midfielders? Rich, your take on that? Um... Oh,
2: ancient knight! You've stitched me up there. Let's have a think.
1: I thought last season that the midfield became a lot more offensive than what it had been before. I thought in the, I suppose you'd say the Vinaldum era, it was very functional and that was what it did. But I thought Elliot early part of the season, Cater did grow into the role certainly through the spring as well and thought put some really commanding performances He was really good in
0: autumn as well before he got injured. He was superb. Old Trafford, for example.
2: What, What you got eventually, though, you got a tune out of Thiago, didn't you? And and as soon, as soon as he started to thread passes with effortless ease, things started to look good from a, from a midfield perspective. I mean, it's it's often even though it's such an important part of the pitch, it's often bypassed, isn't it, because of the the uh, lethalness of the front three and, and the two marauding fullbacks. So you can you can. Get away with it to to a certain degree, can't you? But that's why the likes of of, of Harvey Elliott have got a chance now to impact on this midfield. And, and you, you know, you know, you're never going to get a load of goals out of Jordan Anderson. Um, being had a little purple patch, didn't he? Um, uh, w- w- which you know is not it's not something you're going to expect from him every season, is it? But obviously he's he is capable of finding the back of the net. And uh, and navigator, if we can put his YouTube clips on the pitch, there, there's a load of goals for you. But um, they do need to be a bit more, bit more offensive, and, and, and for, only for the reasons we've already discussed. I think they, they are capable of doing that next season.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Yeah, no, most definitely right. We're fast running out of time and we've still five questions left to get through. So BD up with the next one says, why didn't we sign any replacement for Mohamed Salah over the last few seasons? He's played almost every game and the only sub we have for the position is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Theo, what do you think?
0: Oxlade-Chamberlain's not the sub for him. How many times has he sub done for him? Um, Mohamed Salah is one of the best players in the world. If we were doing this podcast six months ago, we'd be saying he is the best player in the world. That's a very hard one to replace. And Liverpool, one of their skills in recent years has been signing these players who don't miss many games, who can stay free of injury. I know that has come back to sting them a little bit in the final weeks of these season, when the three players that don't get rotated, they start pretty much every week with the three who got the injuries and with doubts for the finals. Um but then it is a very hard decision. Like, How are you going to replace Mohamed Salah? Like, Say in 12 months time he goes, you're going to have to spend big to sign someone who can bring those goals in. And if you signed him in over the last couple of years, uh, if he's an experienced player, they're not going to play. Like we've seen that with Takimi Minamino. He's on the verge of going Monaco, and fans have been disappointed that we've not seen more from him. But he's not had more from him because you've got Salah in front of him in the pecking order. You've got Diaz, Firmino, Jota, Mane. um it has to be a younger player who doesn't expect to play every week, who can learn off him and then gradually replace him. And that's what they've got in Harvey Elliott and Cade Gordon. And I'm not going to say when Salah goes, Gordon is suddenly the replacement who's going to get you 30 goals a season or Elliott's going to grab that role and run with it. Uh, I would expect them to spend big and sign someone to replace him, as they have done this year with uh, Mane and Nunes. It's just such an impossible thing to do. And it, you got to remember as well that we can say this claim about the the original front three it's only the last six months they had a replacement for marnie really and diaz when they signed and they signed him six months early that would have been for this summer if tottenham hadn't gone for him and then Jota was what last start of last season and that was because Firmino had stopped scoring and it's like well we need to replacement now we need someone who can get these goals as well So they've gradually had to replace the front three, but you're never going to have the quality in reserve until they're starting to drop off. Mm -hmm. So it was an impossible thing for him. It's still impossible for him to replace Mohamed Salah. And the fact that they're still going for, they went for a quadruple last year. He's still winning golden boots. He's still scoring all these. And that was without being at his best for half a season. There's enough there. Uh, Hopefully a nice long holiday that he's had in this preseason. He'll have a break uh, when the World Cup's on as well. We'll see a, a fully fit. Firing Mohamed Salah for a full campaign Rather than going off international tournaments And being knackered Playing extra time every three days For what must have been like two, three weeks in a row Salah should be in a better state this year And all the talk from the club Is the contract's not weighing on his shoulders At all, he's fine with that So... He should be better and then we're not worrying about replacement because if he does what he does in the first half of the season for the whole of last campaign, he gets like 40-odd goals, Liverpool win the quadruple, he scores a hat-trick against Real Madrid, gets his revenge, has the last laugh, gets offered the biggest wage the club can offer him and you're not having this conversation.
1: Right, OK, let's wait see if all of that does play out. Right, Ali Ali <laughs> says, uh, will ex-Liverpool transfer guru Michael Edwards go to Chelsea, Rich, or any other Premier League club? What's your take on that?
2: I think he will go to Chelsea if Chelsea offer him an incredible amount of money yeah. uh, because that is the way life works, isn't it? Uh, obviously, he said he wants to break from football. Fair enough. Uh, you can only wish him well What a great job he ended up doing for liverpool and you know kind of really revolutionized the way that the the club deals with transfers and and all for the better would i want to see him go to uh i know this wasn't his question but would i want to see him go to a rival club not really but if the price is right why
1: wouldn't he yeah okay Right. Um, in terms of the next question, then uh, Paquipa says, if Jürgen leaves, he hopes he won't soon, Theo. Who do you think would be the ideal manager to replace him? Well, Given he's just signed a new contract, I can't see him leaving any time soon whatsoever. But the way i would interpret the question and then send it on to you is, the longer Jürgen Klopp is at Liverpool and with Pep Blinders working with him, do Liverpool not have an ideal successor of being readied in the background? Um,
0: essentially, like he's what four years left. And I don't know about you, but the feeling with me was when he signed this contract, it was off the back of the wife saying, I don't see how he can leave. She can imagine herself leaving Liverpool. So in the past, where it's, oh, we'll do his seven years, he'll do his nine years or whatever, and then he wants a break. Now they're very settled in Liverpool. They seem happy in the role, the club's doing well. He wants to be part of the next generation for his sign. It doesn't seem as concrete as 2026 as the end. There could be another extension there. But at the same time, you're right, I reckon Linders is being groomed as a potential successor. When they've spoken about the future in the past, it's they'll make a decision as a collective management team. Um, and it was interesting, some of the information we got when Calvin Ramsey was signed, um, they were saying the fullback plays exactly how Klopp and Linders want their fullbacks to play. Uh, I know Lindes has had some criticism from like, former Dutch internationals before, claiming that he's gagging in on Klopp's success. Well, no, it isn't just Klopp's. The, the, the only one It is the whole team collective there. And it's how Liverpool were successful in the past. Well, we've got everything set up in this, this succession. So we're seeing it potentially with Julian Ward stepping in for Michael Edwards. No reason why we can't see it with the managers if Lindes is ready for it. But then, if you wanted me to make big protections from four years ago, from four years from now, at least Stephen Gerrard's the obvious name, isn't it? Four well, years question, more experience. The question was,
1: the question which I then didn't mention at the end said, except from Stephen Gerrard. So.
0: Okay. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Lindis. I think he's the only one. Then it's so hard to predict who's going to be the next big manager. Like, shall be on Exactly. You could say any Dirk How is he just got one in Holland, doesn't he? He yep. knows what these guys are going to do in four years. But then this is still very football manager feel, isn't it? That you've got to have a manager who's got a connection to your club before, rather than just someone who's done really good, um, established their reputation. Ask me again in three years. Like, like right, Jürgen Klopp. <laughs> when he signed another contract.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, my point was, you, you know, you've got, to, you've got to have someone who has to have a connection to, to, to the club. But what was Jürgen Klopp's, con, you know, connection? to Liverpool before he came and, and now he's you know well, he's Rafa Benitez is exactly yeah, yeah it, it doesn't have to be that way it's the, the old it's always room. got to start somewhere doesn't it yeah the old, old bit room's very different these days
1: yeah right last main question I'm, I'm going to ask I'll put it to, to both of you Pernima asks will Nunes do better than Holland?" nice easy one yeah. to round off on Rich you can go first
2: Um, it <laughs> might do he might do. It depends who adapts better to the Premier League. I think, uh, uh, and into the uh, into the teams that they're going into. You know, has got a little bit of a reputation, hasn't he, of being a bit of a. He's quite a. Uh, should we say confident individual? Is that the best way to put it? Um, and it'll be interesting to see how how that sort of ego sits within the Manchester City dressing room. I know, I mean, Nunes is confident as well, isn't he? And uh, But he's, he, you know, I've read a bit more about uh, about how, he, how he's battled his way to the top. Um, and I, I'm confident that he will settle into the side. So um, there's not going to be much in, in between it. But I, I'll, 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 I'll back Nunes because uh, I'm biased.
1: Yeah, I was going to say we're a Liverpool podcast. I'd, I'd yeah. e- equally go with you. I also think this might, people might think it's a bit of a silly shot. I think actually, the way in which Liverpool's transfer dealings have worked. Wolves likewise as well. Even Bruno Fernandes uh, coming over from the Portuguese league. I actually think the Portuguese league in recent years has probably shown more transferable to the Premier League than the Bundesliga, albeit a lot of people have said how how close in style the Bundesliga is to the Premier League. But I think there's been an awful lot of success stories out of the Portuguese league, which Liverpool have profited from. Uh, Theo, what's your take
0: uh, it's a hard one to answer Because we've not even seen these guys in pre-season yet That's so why we're,
1: we're asking it <laughs> um, How much do you know? Get the crystal ball out
0: I've seen Haaland score at Anfield uh, For Salzburg and He stepped up to the Bundesliga With ease, but he's also got that Injury record where he doesn't play every week But he still scores enough goals To be one of the leading goal scorers in the division Both sides are going to be changing How they play Um Haaland has already got this world-class pedigree, whereas Nunes is perhaps greyed down. You're needing to make that step up. But then that is how Liverpool do things. Like, we wouldn't, didn't expect Diaz to explode into life the way he did. So maybe you're right with how you say about the Portuguese league. Um, But then maybe Liverpool aren't going to rely on him as much of goals because they've still got Mohamed Salah there. Whereas, as ridiculous as it sounds when City scored so many last year, they still were lacking that main goal scorer. I think, like, Maris... Was he the leading goal scorer in the end? But most of them came in like domestic cups in Europe. He didn't actually score loads in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, I think De Bruyne might have been their leading Premier League scorer. And that that was because he got
0: like four, didn't he, in one of the final games? Right, yeah. Yeah, so see, then there's a goal scorer there. They've got the best playmaker in the world um, behind him. They're both going to score goals. It is who settles quickest. I think Haaland will score more, but Nunes shouldn't be far off. If the evidence of Liverpool's recruitment in recent years is anything to go by, but that's I, my, what I thought you were
1: just going to stop. I thought you were just going to stop then at saying both will score goals. At which point, I was going to jump in and say, "Terrific insight, only here on the Blood Red Channel." But no, you did qualify.
2: I think the right players have ended up at the right club. To be honest with you, Harlem feels like a good yeah. fit, for City, and Nunes feels like a good fit for Liverpool. So, fair play.
1: Right, final question. Wonder if either of you can answer this. I have a uh, answer tucked up my sleeve from when I played junior youth football because my team adopted the same tactic. But question from AB is: What's the logic reason behind swapping the fullbacks over when defending a corner? Not sure many other teams do it, and wondered what the benefits are. Do either of you hazard a guess?
0: Easier to clear the ball on your stronger foot when it comes over. I don't know. Yeah,
1: that's the reason. I mean, if you're a left footer defending the left post, the only reason you're going to use your left foot is to kick the post effectively. Whereas if you go on the right-hand side, you can cover more of the goal if the goalkeeper's to miss it and come off his line to try and catch the ball. And you can basically tuck across. Uh, and your right foot, your weaker one, is basically hidden against the post. And you can almost push your body up against the post to deflect the ball if if needed like that. But that was the logic for the team I played in and why we did it. And I'd imagine it's it's a similar logic for... For Liverpool, Rich. But that logic
2: cannot be applied to most junior football teams because most of them end up with a
1: right-footed player at left-back. <laughs> yeah, well, that that was the benefit of me being left-footed and playing at left-back. So... <laughs> guaranteed,
2: guaranteed a start. There we go sure, on, man, on the thought.
1: post. Didn't have to mark anyone, and there we go. That was how many years good. ago
0: was this junior team guy? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. A long, <laughs> long time ago now. Well. <laughs> like it was a long time ago. We started this pod, so best time we wrap up. Thanks to everyone for getting involved. Hang on, hang on. Uh, have
0: we just done 46, 47 minutes, and no one's asked is Mohamed Salah signing a new contract? No, the only <laughs>
1: Salah question. The only Salah question we got was why why haven't the pulled a replacement? So um, well vetted. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Right. Happy days. If, you want to, if you want to get in touch with us and ask Theo why uh, and when Mohamed Salah <laughs> is signing a new contract, get in touch with us. Bloodred at reachplc.com and any fan mail for him as well, I will gladly forward on to Theo. So, From myself, Guy Clark, Rich Garnet and Theo Squires, thanks for your time and your company here on the Blood Red Podcast. It's bye for now.
0: listening to the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo